Welcome to Life on Mars, a podcast about technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation. You will listen to stories of the best founders, inventors, experts, and celebrities from all around the galaxy. Hello, everybody. I'm Alex, the founder of Mars Space. This is another episode of Life on Mars. Welcome to our show. And you will be listening to the story of Jorge Gomez Sancha, one of the co-founders of Tinybird, a company providing infrastructure for large data organizations. And what we'll be talking today is not only their tech stack, so this is, uh, for full disclosure, a pretty nerdy episode. We'll be talking about product. We'll be talking about scalability. We'll be talking about dealing with large data sets. We'll be talking uh, about, you know, structural changes in this kind of uh, in this kind of products, how they are selling it to the companies and how this kind of products has already been existing in the market. Some of their competitors have been not only there for 10 years in the market, uh, one of them actually Snowflake is publicly traded company. Another one, BigQuery, is, um, is part of Google. So no, they're competing against very, very big fish in this ocean. Right? Um, do we talk about product? Are we talking about technology? Uh, lessons learned? Uh, a couple of fuckups they've had. How are they going back to coding after having held managerial positions in previous companies? And much more. So stay tuned because this episode is very, very interesting, and I hope that you enjoy it. Let's go with it. Jorge, welcome to the show. Welcome to Life on Mars. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, Alex, for having me. You're one of the co-founders of TinyBird. We're here to talk about TinyBird because you guys are focusing a lot on data at scale, right? Let's give a little bit of context to the audience. So what is TinyBird and why should companies buy this product? Okay. So um, with TinyBird, what we're trying to do is enable any developer to work with huge amounts of data and build applications on top of uh, that data. Um, at the rate that data keeps growing, um, we believe that um, uh, if there aren't better tools that are out there right now to build applications and to react quickly to what goes on in your business and, and to understand what happens to your data, it'll be very difficult to, to compete. Um, and um, this is a problem we uh, as founders in TinyBird, we've experienced uh, in, in pretty much all of the companies we've worked before uh, at Carto being the, the one where we all work together uh, in the past. And we could see how every year our customers would come with more and more data and we would spend a lot of time helping them pre-aggregate that data, uh, do all kinds of ETLs and, and preparation of the data just so that um, their applications could scale. So what we're doing is enabling them to work with all their raw data and uh, build APIs on top so they can start building applications right away on top of that data. Before we go into the technical part of it, uh, let's get the business side out of the question. Let's get it out of the way uh, by tackling it uh, head first. Um, why, why, why did you go into, the, into that? So uh, take me back to the times of Cartel, perhaps, that was mm -hmm. more or less when you guys had the inception of the of this product, right? What was the product? What was the problem that you couldn't solve there? And why did you not solve it inside of the company, inside Cartel, yeah. for instance? Yeah, that makes sense. So basically, if you think about um, uh, what I was saying before is, you, you know, um, a, a customer uh, in Cartel would come maybe with, uh, you know, 10,000 records or 50,000 records. And um, Carto was built on top of Postgres, and um, Postgres is, is an amazing database that we we love and that we know really really well. Um, but the the problem is not is, is that it's not a database that it's designed to scale uh, indefinitely for any use case or something like that. Normally, no database is, is designed to scale indefinitely for any use case. But um, Postgres is a transactional database, and um, as data kept growing every year, as every year uh, went by, customers would come maybe with an order of magnitude more data. So maybe the next year would be 100,000 records, then a million, then 100 million, et cetera. So, um, you know, we've, that forced us to, before actually solving the problems of our customers, would have to help them figure out what was the best way to structure the data, to put it in the database so that uh, Carto 
could scale to to manage those uh, um, those data sets in the context of building uh, real time visualizations. This is what Carto used to do uh, in the past uh, most of the time, which was you know uh, uh, getting all of that data, visualizing it on a map uh, under different use cases, and uh, we had to help the customer sometimes. Um, bring that data uh, to the minimum uh, uh, required in order to have different zoom levels and different uh, types of aggregations. And every time there was a new dimension or a new filter or something like that that you wanted to uh, add to your final visualization, you'd have to go back to that pre-aggregation, that ETL, and change that such that, you know, again, you would have the minimum amount of, uh, of data possible in the database and so that you could scale it up because... Potentially, those visualizations could then have um, hundreds of requests per second, and uh, so they have to be very, very optimized. And then, um, as uh, some of the guys that are now in, in Tiny Bird started going to other companies, they found the same problems elsewhere. Like whenever, uh, like in, in uh, Javi Santana went to BBVA, for instance, and, and he saw the same problems, is whenever you have huge amounts of data being produced constantly uh, and you want to join that data or enrich that data with uh, other sources of data like uh, you know maybe if you have transactions about in uh, you know uh, sort of a visits to a, an e-commerce and shopping cart transactions you're going to want to know what products exactly uh, what categories those products belong to so you want to you're going to want to join that data with other dimensional data in real time to understand what goes on Every time we, you know, we wanted to do that in in different companies we've worked with, that's been a pain. And uh, and the more the bigger the data, the bigger the pain. And especially when you want to do something beyond exploration. So if you want to do exploration, there's a lot of great data warehouses out there, like um, BigQuery or Snowflake, or uh, you know, there's a lot of technology to to do that. But when you want to build something in real time that scales to hundreds of um, uh, hundred of, uh, requests per second or thousands of requests per second, then you need something different. And, and we see that people end up building huge cathedrals of infrastructure to manage those kinds of use cases. And, uh, and we as developers and, and, and people that come from, a, you know, from engineering, we don't, we like solving business problems more than we like the plumbing itself, you know, the setting up all of those uh, uh, ETLs and all of that, all of those data pipelines. Um, so we wanted to build something that would enable any developer, it, it doesn't matter if you're a data expert or not, to build something that would, uh, uh, you know, that can scale to any amount of data and that can react in real time to whatever's going on with your business. That's a, long, gonna, that's a long explanation. <laughs> and I was, I was going to go into that uh, because it seems to me that what you're solving here, a business person would conceive it as a BI platform, a business intelligence platform mixed with a data warehouse and the solution's already there and you have brought it up. So thank you for the assist that Snowflake is already there. Actually, it's a publicly traded company, so it's not a small company. There's Google's uh, uh, BigQuery and they've been around for 10 years now. So it's not like you're entering precisely a new market with some small players competing for the, for the same headspace. You're actually joining a, a market that is already there with some really big players that have been there along for a really long time. <laughs> so what's the value proposition for me, as I understand Tiny Bird, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you're taking a dev-first approach, right? It's like you're taking a little bit business out of the question. It's like you're building something kind of like a Stripe, kind of like a Shopify that's very engineered to be popular um, around developers, and you can penetrate the companies through the developers. Is that the way of it, or yeah, so you, you value can, proposition? You, yeah, I, I mean, uh, it's, it's about the competition, this is uh, obviously why you have to put together uh, a team of of crazy people and a team of crazily good uh, uh, engineers, which which is the case in, in Tiny Bird, we're super fortunate. Not not just the founding uh, uh, team, which is amazing, but also the people that we're hiring, which which are absolutely great. And and it is true that what happens is that um, if you think about BigQuery or uh, uh, Snowflake, they you know they have relatively low latencies, but they're normally in the seconds 
latency, like maybe a couple of seconds, yeah. three seconds. Um, uh, with with BigQuery, normally you have a sort of a, an initial time that you can't get rid of, uh, depending on the use case. But normally you can't get rid of that initial sort of preparation time, and then the queries are, are super fast. But if you want to do something that scales to hundreds of requests per second, um, and you have a latency of three, four, you know, more than a second latency, so that's going to change more rapidly than. Result, not, not because right? of that. Not 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 because right. of that. Not because of that. It's because uh, uh, in order to scale hundreds of requests per second, if every query yeah. takes three seconds, you need a lot of infrastructure. You need a lot of CPU power in order to scale that up. And right, yeah. and and you know we we believe that real time is um, you know and, and when, I, when I talk about real time, I talk about two different things. But uh, latencies over than beyond one second they're too slow for certain use cases if you want right. to uh, you want to have a, a feeling of instant uh, feedback and you want to have reactive applications and you want to build um, dashboards that you know hundreds of people can look at at the same time and uh, and figure out and be uh, you know and have a good experience you can't have queries that take three four five seconds you need queries that take 200 milliseconds, 300 milliseconds. And that's what we aim for. We aim for super low latency over huge amounts of data. And, and that opens the door to doing uh, uh, different use cases, such as uh, not just dashboards, but alerts and automation and uh, uh, complex event processing and, and things like that. And, uh, and that's what we're seeing um, and, uh when, when we go to customers is that they have a very specific use case they're struggling to do with the big queries or the snowflakes or uh, those kinds of technologies. And when they realize they can do uh, with uh, TinyBird, uh, and I'll tell you about what's underneath the covers later if you want. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what they can, the types of things that they can do and the, and the ability to scale that they have, and not just that, but the flexibility. Um, because... With uh, TinyBird, you uh, you ingest data, you start ingesting data, then you build a SQL query and you expose the result as an API endpoint with one click, and you can start consuming that from your application right away. You don't have to build a backend, you don't have to build security, you can just consume that right away. And that flexibility, the fact that any new use case is just one SQL query away and just expose that new SQL as an API endpoint, that's a huge plus as well. So in, you could think of, you were saying a developer sort of a um, value prop, you could think of this as, as a data warehouse for developers, if you want. Like, and we were yeah. thinking about this, like yeah. how would developers would right. want to work with this kind of technology such that they can apply what they know already and how they're used to working. And, and that is SQL, you know, uh, SQL is a standard, uh, Query language, you know, it's used in in in, in many databases, and that and developers um, uh, normally know. And but not just that, APIs, and uh, it's something they're very used to working with. And also, we are adding a, a number of uh, tools around the product, around the platform, uh, that help you to build data projects or data products in the same way you do development projects. So you, you, uh, we are working to enable things like, you know, integration with Git for all of your queries and all of your schemas, uh, uh, continuous integration, testing, all of those things which are as important with data projects as they are with, you know, uh, any other development projects. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, actually, that's what I brought it up because um, maybe business people, they're more used to, to having to use things like, um, you know, the Oracle BI stack or something like that, right? And that's extremely low and it's painfully low and it's clunky, but they're so used to it that they don't care. They know it takes like 10 seconds to, to, to regenerate a chart or something like that, but they're used to it. But if you're developing stuff underneath and you want to have some integrations, maybe those 10 seconds are long, like way too long of a time to yeah. take decisions, right? And yeah. you need to take some, uh, maybe you, some of your integrations work with real-time data. So I see the value proposition that you're, you're, um, you're and just, support. Yeah. Uh, ju Sorry, and just to, to add to that, um, it's we talk about low latencies on the queries, but 
is as important when you think about the ingestion is you want to have answers um, as soon as possible in the sense of whenever data is happening, uh, we want you to be able to query that data as it's being generated and not later. As in, you know, what if you can understand your business as it unfolds, as it happens, why would you want to understand it later? You know, if you can uh, access it uh, and understand it at the moment it takes place. And this is something we've discovered that in a, a lot of big companies um, and small companies as well, but sometimes people live with batch um, times and batch processing and, and with the fact that they have to wait for a few hours to understand what has gone on with their promotion or with the, their Black Friday or something like that. And they live with that as people live with white noise, you know, in the background. It's something that you get yeah. used to it. You think there's just no alternative. That's just the way things go. But the moment you demonstrate to them, look, you can have this in real time. You can know right now what's going on. They, it's like a wake-up call. It's like, wow, if I can have this in real time, what else can I do in real time? And it just, um, we, we're seeing how it opens up a uh, a new way of of thinking about this and, and how some of the companies we've worked with the moment they've solved the use case they were interested in in real time, they're looking at their other problems in a different way because they they don't see um, they didn't see the opportunity before and now they do. It's like okay, if I could reduce these times to uh, from hours to uh, seconds, Correct. maybe I can automate all of those decisions that now I have people waiting to uh, to act on. You know, maybe I can automate them all because uh, I know how to derive the insights. I just need to automate it now because it's real time. So it's, it's, a, it's been a great, um, this was our hypothesis when we started and it's been great to see it in uh, happening with, with our customers. Before we go on and please our developers audience, let's please our business audience. And can we talk about a, a project that you're working on right now, maybe not mentioning the brand or the customer yeah. or whatever, but like a specific, some tangible project that we can say, okay, this is where we bring the most value in. And like, look, in this project before and after, like this is mm -hmm. what we do. Mm -hmm. So um, we we cover, uh, we're trying to focus on a number of, of, um, uh, of, of use cases, but since developers are, uh, uh, would be listening, I'm gonna tell you about the last one uh, we're we're doing. Um, we, we're working with a company uh, which is very popular with developers as well. It's a, a platform as a service uh, type of company, and they have. Um, so think about like a, it's not Heroku, but think of a kind of a Heroku type of company. So they have um, uh, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of applications uh, out there that their users build, and they provide the hosting and the platform for those applications to live in. So one of their problems is they have edge servers. They have like a, a CDN built uh, with uh, Amazon technology uh, all over the world. And those edge servers are receiving traffic constantly. And um, one of the problems they have is sometimes they have denial of service attacks. So someone will start hitting one of those servers like crazy. And that generates a number of problems for them. First, uh, you know, it, it increases their, their, uh, their bill uh, their Amazon bill massively because suddenly you're serving uh, hundreds of thousands of requests and um, they need to be able to stop that in real time. So they need to be able to know that that's happening and, and to stop it. So before we came along, they had a super complex setup uh, with using multiple components of, uh, in AWS, uh, receiving data from all of those uh, services, figuring out, you know, with Redis and with uh, many different databases, what was going on, and then try to figure out whether there was an, uh, basically the, what they've built with TinyBird is that we, they uh, gather um, data, the logs from all of these servers as they get generated, they're being sent to a Kafka uh, uh, server or cluster, and we ingest all of the logs from all of their edge servers. We're talking about, you know, sometimes 50 edge servers, sometimes 150. So it, it ebbs and flows depending on the traffic. And um, on top of that data that uh, it's coming in, they've built a set of API endpoints that all of their edge servers can uh, 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 call every five to 10 seconds just to see if there's suddenly an increase 
in traffic for a particular IP. So they look at, okay, if in the last 10 seconds I've had more than 50,000 requests from a particular IP uh, that was in their report, that means it's a denial of service attack. And then that edge servers will ban that specific IP. So basically we have a lag from the moment the logs get generated to the moment they hit Tiny Bird uh, through Kafka. It takes about three seconds, three to five seconds. And then they can query that every 10 seconds from their edge servers. So there are hundreds of uh, servers querying Tiny Bird to figure out if for, their, if for that particular edge server, there has been a denial of service attack and they can switch it off. So that was not a use case that we were thinking about when we started Tiny Bird. It's pretty convoluted, but yeah. So yeah, so to, to make it simpler, all of it, all the edge servers send data through Kafka to Tiny Bird. And then in Tiny Bird, they build a SQL query that uh, as an API endpoint, and each edge server can query Tiny Bird to know if uh, there's um, some IP that's generating a denial of service attack. If that makes sense. So, uh, and and we have we're ingesting from fifty thousand requests a second to two hundred thousand requests a second. So it's it's a pre pretty crazy uh, uh, scale with a with a simple uh, Tiny Bird account. If you had to build this with the uh, current incumbents and in the BI or data warehouse, maybe by the time that you get the real data, your server is already down because it's been these two, three to five seconds that you get using your infrastructure on top of their 10 or 13 seconds or whatever minutes they, they needed to compute all of this. Maybe you, you would be without a company by the time this there's exactly. Okay, that's a really good example. Can we uh, delve into right now into technology? Because uh, what's sure. uh, underneath the covers, and uh, what 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 technology did you use to build this with, and um, and what's the, the the whole infrastructure to whatever amount of detail you can you can yeah. speak about? So one of the one of the guiding principles uh, when we started that that Javi Santana and Raul Ochoa uh, set from the technical point of view was. You know, we need to keep this simple. Uh, we try. We we mm, let's not. One of the problems when we uh, when you start something is uh, you tend to have a lot of different technologies, and that makes it harder to maintain. Even though sometimes you're choosing the right tool for each job, but then you need a lot of experts in different technologies. So um, we have as our programming language of choice is Python. Uh, the, uh, all of the application uh, sort of uh, is built on on Python using Tornado, and um, as as Raúl says, Python is the second best language for every problem, uh, and so that means that it's <laughs> not a good one. Uh, you know it's not ideal. Probably you know, there's probably better languages to do a, um, a front end and and so on, but you know it's work great for us uh, because it's it's great from uh, to uh, manage data um, with Tornado. We chose Tornado because of the multi-threading uh, capabilities. And um, uh, so far, so good. That's the that's where the backend is built. There's some C++ as well uh, uh, components. And that's because we use ClickHouse. And ClickHouse is the um, analytics, it's an open source uh, analytical, uh, it's an all-up uh, database. Um, it's a columnar database that it's amazing that uh, basically it's incredibly fast but in order to communicate from from um, you know some of the uh, from Python to click how some of the bindings are in, in C++ but it's mostly uh, Python and then in terms of uh, um, we use uh, Redis for metadata storage we use um, um, what, what else do we use we use uh, Nginx and uh, uh, as our uh, web server, and we use um, um, Varnish as well uh, for uh, sort of intermediate caching and and uh, sort of uh, and a couple of other uh, tasks in, in in the middle there. But that's about it. Uh, that's that's our stack. And in the front end, we use a single page application with with React. I was going to go, so what determined the choice of, of Python? We usually, the, the technological choice, uh, or at least the programming language choice, comes from previous experiences, right? So if it were for you well in the past, why shouldn't you go with this? Yeah, like you don't want to take any bets on a new product, especially when you're running out of time, 
when you want to nail it in the first time or you are you have raised some money and therefore you know the time is against you. So um, is there any other insight as to what determined your programming language uh, by choosing Python, for instance, or other than it worked well for us in Kartok, for instance, or in other Well, language? actually, uh, 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 Python was not the programming language at Kartok. In Kartok, um, uh, was, uh, was built, I mean, Kartok did have a lot of different components did, built in different uh, programming languages. Uh, yeah. Part of it was built on Rails, uh, then there's that, yeah. a, a, another part was built with uh, the uh, the API uh, sort of a, um, the API, a public APIs were built with Node.js, uh, uh, you know, and uh, there was Redis there as well. There was uh, Postgres, of course, and PostGIS. Um, but here, I think, and, and you, you'll have to ask uh, Javi, which I or, or Raúl, which I very much recommend you invite uh, at some point. Sure. Um, but I think it, it it was more about um, uh, how comfortable they felt in being able to move quickly, iterate quickly, and get results quickly. Uh, Multi-threading with Tornado was a big part as well because we we wanted to be able to do things like, um, for instance, when you when you send a CSV or you are you can ingest a URL uh, like a CSV that is sitting in a yeah. in S3 okay, yeah. or whatever. Um, when you send a, a very large CSV. Uh, what we do is we break that up in chunks and it ingests all that CSV in parallel in many threads so that the ingestion takes place much, much faster. And uh, so, you know, um, uh, 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 Python and, and Tornado's uh, multi-threading capabilities there uh, played a part as well. Okay. Yeah, that's that's actually a very good reason. Um, but but do, you guys, do you guys code for this? Uh, have you gone back to coding? Because, I mean, you have been... C level and uh, or you guys come from a background of more like managerial positions, yeah. uh, C level VP of some VP of technology, whatever. So have you gone back to coding and how did it feel? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the one that uh, uh, because I guess I was your the one CEO. That had, you don't code. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> I I mean, you can see some comments uh, uh, from me, but I just did that to uh, just uh, uh, gain a little bit of respect amongst the team. Like, hey, I can still. I can still do some things, you know. Um, I can still copy actually, it. Like I changed the copyright uh, exactly, uh, year exactly. number on the website, something like that. I, That's I, what I do, I, by the way. So I often <laughs> come in and change the copy of uh, <laughs> of the website and things like that. No, but um, uh, uh, basically, I'm the only one doing sales, uh, sort of uh, almost not full time, but almost full time uh, right yeah. now. Uh, and 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 then that means. Uh, Essentially, when you start a company, you have to, you know, there's so many things to do. You know, you have mm -hmm. to decide who does what. And one of the problems that is very difficult to have at the beginning is that you don't set good boundaries in terms of, you know, who yeah. does what and who takes the decisions where. And, uh, and you know, we had been working together for a long time. And even though we knew each other very well, when you're starting out, it's it, mm. it, uh, the first few months is very difficult to know exactly you know where should you decide and where should you talk to the rest of the founders to decide one thing or the other but pretty soon we sort of each got in our groove obviously i was the one that had been without coding uh, or not coding uh, for the longest time so it completely made sense for me to basically pick up all of that stuff uh, and and try to sell and get i also i had run my own company in the past as well so you know uh, Closing contracts and uh, doing proposals and doing all of those kinds of things that things that I'm also very comfortable with, um, and uh, so uh, you know I think I'm the only one that's not coding almost full time. Like Harris and Dan is coding almost full time. Uh, uh, Ochoa obviously is all uh, you know uh, uh, coding full time, and everyone we've hired until now is an engineer. So uh, you know, it's it's uh, everyone's everyone's on the on the product. That's interesting. Actually, one of the reasons I brought it up it's because so if Python is not the language that you were using in your previous companies, there's definitely something that you need to learn the ropes off. And 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 if you had been um, in managerial positions, there's some dust to be shaken as well, right? Because you, you're getting a little bit rusty um, over the years uh, by not programming. So. It seems to me like uh, it might have been a little bit tricky to get this this whole thing started, like going back into programming and actually in a different uh, programming language and or framework that might have changed significantly since you last used it, right? 
Yeah, I, I, for, I mean, for me, for instance, I, I had never programmed in, in Python. Uh, so when I came in and I wanted to, you know, understand the product and maybe do some, a couple of features to sort of get a sense of, of how yeah. it worked and so on, that was extremely hard. I was just basically hitting the code with every stick I could find to make it work, you know. But for Javi, Santana, and Raul, and these guys, they are, I mean, these guys are the cream of the crop. You know, and they, I, I don't know how much they had been programming in Python before, but um, from the outside, it felt like they had been doing it forever, you know. And I, and, and the amazing thing with these guys is that, you know, um, whenever they realize there's a bug in ClickHouse, they'll go in and fix it in ClickHouse in C. You know, they don't have any, uh, th there's no barriers there in terms of, I only do Python or I only do uh, C. They just do whatever they need to do or we do whatever we need to do. And that's something that's very, a big part of the culture in Tiny Bird. Like one, some of the guys that were coming in at the beginning were a little bit like, we were saying, hey, who can do this? Like we want to set up an example using AWS and doing this or that. And, and uh, one of the guys said, hey, I, I, I'd like to do it, but I've never done anything with AWS. It's like, we don't care, you know, just figure it out, you know, go in there, just get dirty, figure it out. And you're, you're going to, and, and it's a great way to encourage people to grow and to understand and to become better engineers because being a great engineer is not equal to being a great programmer you know it's so much more so and um no, that was that was the, the the first reason why i brought it up um the second is totally escaping me right now i lost the thread but actually one of the things <laughs> i wanted to comment on is that um that the other thing is like how to scale this kind of product right because you're building a a, B, to B. Oh, no, now I got it. Now I, and I remember. It's like from your perspective. So you and I are CEOs, but like you and I have been developers and you and I have been coding until, I don't know, in my case, it's until like almost 10 years ago, right? Still code from time to time, but like nothing professional. It's kind of like pet projects. And I miss it a lot. How do yeah. you deal with this feeling? Like, do you, are you the kind of nostalgic coder that's like, yeah, I'd like to go back to coding or I would like to do it like, I don't know, 20% of my time or fuck this shit, like I don't need it anymore. Like I'm better off by doing sales, maybe not using yeah. these words, but like, you know, I know my time is best invested if I only do sales. Yeah, I I, um, <laughs> I actually, I I miss, what I miss um, is, is not coding specifically uh, or by itself, is the ability to focus on a problem for a long amount of time. Correct. That's correct. That's what I miss. It. The flow <laughs> of just working on a big complex problem for a long time. Do you know when I code now, when I, I mean, when I say code, I mean also like sometimes like for instance, uh, recently I had to set up my own um, Kafka demo uh, using in yeah. local, in my local machine. So I had to figure out how that worked and how our agent worked and, you know, set it up on my own which is not coding, but still, it's sort of a similar feeling to figure out problems out. But Correct, yeah. you know when I do that? I do that when I'm procrastinating, you know, like if, if, I, oh. if I'm putting something off that I really should be doing, uh, that's when I get like this huge urge to do something technical and focus on a, on a, on a you know, on a technical problem. But um, the, the reality is that 90% of the time, even though I'd love to jump in and try it for myself, I'm, you know, it's not the most efficient use of my time. And, and really I feel, and I'm comfortable with that. And, and if someone else can do it, like, you know, Alberto or Carlos or Alejandra or Elena or anyone in the team are going to do it much, much faster than I could. And, and a lot of the times is makes much more sense than they do it. But then there's other aspects. Sometimes I like to Correct. do it because I, I need to understand it in depth so then I can go and sell it and explain it and defend it and, and so on. And, and that, that's a good investment of my time when I need to get So let me do this. Let me um, build this use case, materialize this, use the command line interface, figure out why they're struggling, this customer or other, because then I can defend it and I can, you know, I can be useful beyond uh, just the sales process, if you know what I mean. So um, those are the times when it's a good investment of my time. I wholeheartedly agree with this answer. Like it mm -hmm. summarizes 100% my experience. It's like I should never get into the projects that we sell as an agency in Mars space 
But sometimes I do. And, and my peers are like, why do you do it? Like, you should be selling. It's like, yeah, but I need to keep up with the technologies because okay. like, like I never programmed in Angular, right? I, might, I yeah. might have done my things and like I'm doing now some React on my own, but like I haven't professionally coded in, in the, right. the languages that I'm selling and I need to understand the complexities and all of that. Of course, as a developer for me, it's very easy to soak it up, right? But I want to have some first-hand experience and even if it's like scratching the surface and pretty much everything, which sort of brings me back to the next question, which is uh, what I was going to go first, right? Uh, mixing a little bit technology and business because a B2B is very complex to sell, right? Because at the very beginning, you're really small. You might have like some very diverse kind of clients. You, you said that you had one really big client from the get-go, mm -hmm. which is usually not the way to go about it. But we, before we go into distribution of clients, is at the very beginning, you need to integrate yourself with other platforms, before you become popular and you make it and they mm -hmm. integrate with you and then mm -hmm. you become the platform, right? Mm -hmm. More or less, at what stage are you at? You are pre-others integrating uh, with <laughs> you or, you know, what, what kind of company are you at? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're still, I mean, um, we, I, we, I've been, we've been super fortunate in, in the customers that, that we found, big and small. I mean, we, we have amazing Customers and amazing relationship with, uh, relationships with our customers, but um, uh, we are not at that stage where people want to integrate with us, and uh, they're tr they're trying to uh, to uh, knock down our doors. But and but we are very opportunistically integrating with whatever makes sense for our plans. Um, th there are two aspects of that. One is from the ingestion point of view, we are prioritizing the things that. Um, are well suited for real time. For instance, Kafka is really well suited for real time. A lot of people right. are using it. Uh, we're not in love with it uh, for various reasons, but a lot of people are using it. It's uh, and they use it to collect a lot of data. And actually, it's not that easy to take advantage of it once you have it in Kafka many times. And we are trying to make that super easy that you can just connect to it, write some SQL, expose APIs, and build your application. So. Uh, rather than having to build your own consumers and, and things like that. So um, uh, another thing that we're exploring is change data capture as well, which is basically connecting to the, the bin log, for instance, of MySQL or the write-ahead log of, of Postgres so that we can actually synchronize data from a transactional database in real time. So you can have analytics at scale, like with no effort, no almost, you know, no integration effort from your side. So that's something we're exploring as well um, with some uh, uh, friendly customers. And um, uh, and then, for instance, we we expose APIs for, you know, that's the gist of a product. You, you know, build APIs on top of the, uh, those uh, huge amounts or the, of data, those streams of data. And, um, but at the same time, there's always in every customer or almost every customer will come and say, after building whatever they're building with our APIs, they say, hey, there's this guy in this department that wants to connect with this with Power BI or Tableau or something like that. Because once you have the data in there, then it becomes really valuable for someone to be able to do more stuff with it. So we, rather than building connectors to every single BI out there, and there are a lot, um, uh, the, the guys uh, came up with a great idea, which was let's use Postgres as a proxy, um, and they built a right. foreign data foreign data wrapper, which essentially takes you know you, in a BI you will put something like a Postgres URL, uh, right. a connection URL uh, that points to Tiny Bird, and uh, and that will forward the queries to Tiny Bird, and get the results back and send it back. So there's no data in Postgres. It's just acting as a, as a proxy. You know what That's I mean? That's smart. I was going to go, I was going to go with the question that begs the question, you know, that the uh, Postgres really doesn't scale that fast, right? Yeah, so no. You're uh, just the, using it for the connection. Exactly. So it receives oh, wow. the SQL uh, query and it sends it forward to uh, a tiny bird and tiny bird uh, generates the results, sends them back. And so the feeling is that you're connecting to a Postgres, but actually you're using TinyBird. So whatever API endpoint you've generated to your Tableau, it looks like a table. Uh, so, and that that's that's great because you can that's have brilliant. someone building the results of what you actually want to expose. And then the Tableau will only, a Tableau or Metabase or Power BI or whatever you're using will only see uh, the, the tables that you're exposing basically. So 
that that's that's really handy. That's brilliant. Um, that solves the friction of having to switch over to your product, right? Because uh, in B two B, most of the most of the stuff is like, oh yeah, I need to switch over from I, I don't know if I'm building a competitor to Stripe. Most people will be like, yeah, but I got Stripe already and it works yeah. and it might not be the best. Uh, or you know, you're you're you you were mentioning right? I'm using Tableau. Mm. And uh, I need an integration with Postgres and I want to integrate with a, a database, not with your thing. But you managed to solve that. Yeah, so we're, that's, we're, that's we're, pretty smart. Yeah, that's that's a sort of startup or entrepreneurial thinking, if you want. Like, you know, we don't have time to build connectors to every BI out there. And uh, and actually, this was this was an idea um, that that uh, I don't know, I think it was Santana or or or, or Raul had. And they did what we call a, a minimum shitty prototype, which is what's the <laughs> minimum amount of code that we can do to validate whether this could work or not. And uh, and once that uh, you see that, you know, uh, oh, actually this could work, then um, we spend some time sort of uh, building that. But we haven't really announced it or anything because we're very focused on, on the real-time aspect of this and the APIs and so on. And uh, we've, we have it there just because we don't want to lose a deal on the back of, hey, I can't connect my Tableau to this or I can't connect my Power BI to this. But but accelerating Tableaus right now is not our main use case. Like we are, you know, um, uh, when you have the amount of data, uh, uh, you know, that the, the amount of data that we're dealing with, Tableau normally is just not good enough. Uh, and uh, so we, we're, we build APIs and normally our customers, they want to see more snappy, uh, uh, you know, more interactive applications that really let you see what's going on in real time. Um, and yeah. Um, let's go into the culture because uh, you've been bringing up speed, 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 speed pretty consistently <laughs> throughout the interview, right? And mm -hmm. um, and I remember that one of the key aspects in your culture is speed wins, right? Or speed right. or something like that, right? Um, how does that translate into a real life you know, casuistics and uh, what other aspects of your culture are determinant and what mm -hmm. you're building into the product? Yeah. Uh, I, about speed, I mean, we believe speed is the ultimate differentiator. Um, no matter how you look at it, uh, if you are able as a company to take decisions quickly, then you can do more things, you can uh, react faster, you can advance faster, and that compounds over time. But at the same time, if you look at it from the technical point of view, if all your queries take 100 milliseconds instead of a second, it means you need 10 times less infrastructure to serve the same amount of queries, if you know what I mean. So that's Correct. that's that's the sort of thing that compounds and scales over time. Um, but, and it goes also to the user experience. If you are, if you if your uh, if, if your application is very responsive and very speedy. Uh, and it looks like everything is immediate, then that generates a great user experience. Your customers want to use it more. And, you know, all another thing, they will speak about you, another thing that compounds over time. So that's um, how does that apply to what we do? In from a day-to-day -day point of view, um, uh, for instance, there, a lot of the times we use Basecamp, for instance, for to to work, uh, oh, to good. collaborate. And, and uh, sometimes someone will ask, hey, um, I'm thinking about this, or uh, should I do this, or should I do that? And you know, you decide, man. It's like it really like 90% of the decisions are reversible. You know, if you make the wrong decision, you know, we can change it later. But spending a lot of time deciding and maybe distracting 10 people in a channel uh, to answer this particular question is probably not worth it. You know, just make a decision, mm. get it done. That's what we talk about, and when we when we say about when we talk about speed wins, you know, and and the and and then from a from a technical point of view, like right, yeah, in product, how does that translate into the product? Yeah, you know, from from the decisions point of view, we are uh, it, it applies as well when you're building. Is like should we do this? Should we do that? Let's just go with something. When we try it, we'll see if it was a good decision or not, and we can always change it later. Most of the time, that's not a hundred percent of the time, but most of the time with small decisions is like that. And then speed, as in you know, uh, we look at performance as the key uh, feature of Tinybird. If the things you do with Tinybird are not fast, then we're, we can't compete with the big queries or the snowflakes and so on. That's our differentiator, that you can do things at scale 
super fast and super flexibly. And uh, if we if we build features that are not fast, then they're not they're not ready to go out in production. So so that's when we will spend actually more time uh, to reduce um uh you know uh the the uh, so, so to to speed up things basically or reduce the latency of of apis and so on um another you know another aspect that might be part of your culture i don't know but you guys do it excellently like nobody else you share a lot of what you learn like your culture of transparency and giving back to the community is outstanding Uh, you got a very good technical blog, but also, you know, like you, you have done your, your webinars, you speak at conferences all the time. Um, Javi is also like very active on Twitter and, and also sharing a lot of, of stuff. And not only from the business side, but also like product and tech and, and we did this yeah. and we fucked up here and we, yeah, yeah. you know, we accelerated the product 10x by just doing this. So is that interwoven into your company, into your company culture? Is that part of the culture? Is that something that you do as part of your marketing actions or how does that come about? Um, I think one of the things we've learned is that, you know, it doesn't matter how amazing your product is, if you don't talk about it all the time, if you're not willing to repeat over and over why it's so good that's and why the, is it different. That's the CEO speaking there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but actually this is this is something I I feel I've learned from Javi, Correct, for yeah. instance. Like Javi, he's so conscious about this. Like he will, you know, uh, constantly speak about because uh, first, you, when you speak about things, you get a lot back. Like people will reply, and then you learn in the right. process, and and that's 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 really great, um, and but also it's it's you know, I I, I read somewhere um, I don't remember uh, exactly where, but that um, you know one of the things that people hate about marketing, or if you want to be a good good at marketing what you do, you need to be willing to repeat the same thing over and over and over and find you know, creative ways of speaking about the same thing in different ways, you know. And yeah. and that's something that we have, as a company, interiorized uh, uh, pretty soon. And and it's absolutely obvious whenever we do a consistent effort of speaking and, tell, you know, here's what we've done, look at this thing, blah, blah, blah. You put out a blog post, you think no one's reading it, and suddenly you get inbound leads. And it's like, oh, I, actually, people do read this, you know. So... And a lot of people come back to us like months after we've written a blog post and say, "Hey, I read your blog post about this and that." It's like, really? That's that's pretty <laughs> that's pretty cool. So uh, that's something that we we um, you know, uh, and and from a from an advice point of view, and uh, if if uh, uh, someone is starting a technical uh, product out there, you know, you should spend at least the same amount of time marketing that you spend uh, developing, because otherwise it's going to be very difficult that. People learn about what you're doing and and uh, want to try it out. So, uh, yeah. it, it, it might be frustrating at first because at the, you know I remember the beginning of well, MarSpace. We started blogging like eight years ago, right? And even though our blog has not been super technical, uh, we do share a lot of tech stuff, right? Um, and and but you don't have an audience, so literally you're just blogging to no one. And yeah. then you start having one, two people a day on your website, and then ten. And then 50. But by the time you get like more, I don't know, like we should be like, in, I think 300 to 1,000 people a day, maybe 3,000 people a day. I don't, I don't even yeah. care because we didn't even check, yeah. right? But by that time, you don't care anymore. But the compounding effect of having done so in all of these years is going to pay back, right? Yeah. I do remember the first time we got one of our first clients through SEO just because it's a, we had blocked about, I think it was Sidekick or whatever, Jam, Ruby Jam, whatever in the past. I'm like, oh, I found you through this. Because you guys do uh, Sidekick, and we do have this problem with Sidekick. It appeared exactly. once in our website, just yeah. once. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, yeah. wow. And yeah. they turned out to be our clients. I think it was the guys from a Park and Go or a World Sensing. I don't remember. One, one, of, the, one of the two, right? I was like, yeah. wow, they can find us for one keyword? That's crazy. That's not what SEO tells you all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that sense of community, right, it translates into other things. Like, I think, I don't, I don't know, I, I heard this sometimes, like, you should speak about your company until until your clients speak about it for about you. you. That's right. right. So um, I think we're more or less following the same transition here. I think yeah. we're already in the point where our clients speak for us, but, like, uh, I'm pretty sure that your clients will be speaking about you in conferences yeah. really, really soon, whenever the conferences are, are back. Yeah. And I was going to go into that, so... Conferences—is that something that has worked for you in the past as a product and as a technical company? 
It's been a bit weird because this year, I mean, conferences, is, we haven't gone to as many as we would have gone to uh, yeah. without COVID. Um, uh, we, we've just uh, participated in, in, in two or three, I think, in, in the whole process. One thing that uh, just before or just as before Tiny Bird got started, when, when Javi Santana was already thinking about, uh, about it, he organized the ClickHouse conference. And that was a great sort of kickoff. We got to know... Uh, a lot of companies that had uh, problems with data and and so on. So that was that was a great thing to do, and uh, we we didn't even have a, a company yet. So it, it, yeah. and just just to to give you a sense of how interiorized this is, you know, in in the team. So um, and then, but now we start, we're, you know, we're we're trying to start going to to uh, to conferences and speaking at conferences again. Uh, I think Javi uh, Santana is going to speak at uh, Percona uh, this year. And um, uh, we are, uh, you know, uh, uh, appearing in a, in a few podcasts as well. And uh, so we're 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 not without trying to overdo it. We think it's really important to to be out there and sharing what we do, explaining why, what got us started, what do we believe in, how do we think the world's going to be in the future uh, once we uh, uh, <laughs> make our mark, and uh, and why should people come along for the ride. I totally hear you, and I think we've got a, a, a bigger reason, you and I, to do it, because we're not raising funds, right? We're not fundraising there, and it seems like only B2C and fundraising companies are getting all the press and all the coverage. So as bootstrap companies or maybe companies with a little bit of fundraising, um, we need to fight twice as hard for this span of attention, whatever little span of attention yeah. we can get. Um, I, we need to I'll tell you. We, oh, sorry. Just, go just, ahead. Go ahead. Just to yeah. be, just to be uh, uh, absolutely transparent, we we have raised a little bit of money. We just yeah. haven't spoken That's about it right because down. because we we don't um, we we haven't until now. We you know it, it was just uh, it, it's more a responsibility than a than a milestone for us in a, in the sense that you know we we did it in the context of realizing there was a huge opportunity for us and uh, we wanted to go fast. We needed. A little bit, uh, you know, more more fuel, um, but we haven't talked about it uh, publicly or or uh, anything. So, uh, but just just to uh, just to um, uh, so yeah, to to explain basically. Thank you for sharing. Uh, so we gotta go to the last question, which is the signature question of these podcasts. Like everybody uh -huh. fucks up, everybody fucks up. We're the first ones to fuck up. We all share our technological fuck ups here. So we want you to share your biggest technological fuck up, something that you can sign, something that you have, you signed and you ate it up completely. And if possible, uh, how much money did that translate into? Um, you know, I've been, I've been speaking super well about my technical colleagues. So I think it's only fair that, that uh, I, I talk about uh, a, um, uh, one of their fuck ups as well. So um, we it should look, be yours we, though. It should be yours. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't done. Not I, anybody I, else they, is. They don't. They don't let me uh, close enough to the technology to uh, maybe to, previous companies. To fuck up. Ah, okay. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Um, hmm. We're gonna be having asking Kavi and, and whomever else. Uh, in, okay. In, okay. In, in um, subsequent episodes, but one something that you have done that you have been responsible for. Uh, let me think about this. Mm. Like we all have wiped out. Data, the production databases we all have got like i don't know like send some code to production that shouldn't be there something offensive <laughs> some, i don't know like yeah, uh, I actually, shipping I, code I'm, on I'm friday evenings yeah, <laughs> i'm trying I, I i had the perfect uh tiny bird not made by me problem to explain so i, I am struggling now to find one from a, a previous company um let me think about this really quickly uh Hmm. Can be also like product decisions, something like that. Um, um, I can't think of anything right now. I've, you, you see, I, I never fuck up. That must be it. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, Pretty humble. <laughs> uh, well, Slow. look, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Uh, I'll tell you one. Um, uh, at a well, it's not actually my fuck up but for at a previous company i won't say the name but i don't want to get in trouble but at a previous company that i was um uh, right. uh, uh managing i 
um, we inherited a product that had been built by a consulting company. And uh, uh, four months, uh, we had, without realizing it, we had uh, passwords on the clear. On uh, basically, they're being stored on the clear, and basically anyone uh, could have just destroyed us. And uh, luckily, uh, no one did. But that was a big. The fuck up was not realizing soon enough. We didn't. We wouldn't have built it, but we didn't realize it until uh, uh, you know uh, by chance one of the, the great developers in, in the in the team that we were making up just said, "Hey, I don't know. I don't know if I want my name." He was willing to quit when he saw it. Like, I don't know if I want my name to be uh, associated to this business because anytime this is going to explode, you know? So, you know, we fixed it right away. And so, oh, I'll tell you another one. I'll tell you another one. Because this one didn't really explode. So it didn't turn into a yeah. fuck up, but it could have been a huge fuck up. Okay, well, yeah. go for it. And, and another one was, I used to work at a, uh, at a bank a long that time sounds ago. Fun. Sounds fun. And, uh, and <laughs> we, um, there, we realized that we, we had changed the login procedure and everybody was super happy because it was much faster and much smoother and, and, and so on. And uh, it turns out that um, with the login, if you entered a username that existed, if it, even if it wasn't yours, if you entered the username that existed um, uh, and, a, and just invented password, it will tell you wrong password, but it would log you in. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> at a at a bank, and uh, luckily, what? how uh, how did that even happen? Like, well, the thing is, it was in order to validate. It was using. I don't think. I think it's. Uh, um, oh my god! Uh, Sounds uh, like the order of validations was, was incorrect or something like it that. Was, right? It was. It was. It was a Java framework. I don't remember. J two E something like that. Ago. Right. Many. Yeah. Many years ago, yeah, exactly. Like enterprise Java beans and all of those things, I uh, you know, I, I yeah. didn't, never really cared for. But um, <laughs> the the problem was, uh, it was creating a session in order to validate the the password, all right. and all then right. gotcha. uh, then that session basically remained. You would get the cookie, and it would remain alive. And uh, it was just this is back. I'm very old, you know, and this is back when. Uh, there were no frameworks. There was no login uh, uh, providers or libraries out there for everybody to use and ex extra validated and so on. You had to do it all yourself. And, uh, yeah. and for a while, we put that in production. And luckily, one of the developers realized just doing smoke testing said, why am I logged in? I, I don't understand. And just went back, tried it again. And and it was actually the, the great thing that happened there was that um, is how we reacted to it. Like, Suddenly, everybody was hyper conscious of how big a fuck up that was, and the you know a security problem is only a security problem once someone knows about it. If no one knows Correct. about it, then you know yeah. the moment that someone knows about it, it can't leave that room, and that's really what happened. Is like we were we were in a meeting room and we realized, oh shit, and then we called in like the two key people that knew about this, and none of us left the room until that was fixed. Um, so it never turned into a known security problem because uh, we just realized it and just kept it in the room and we're very conscious that it couldn't leave the room until it was fixed. Otherwise, anyone could know and if it you know got out there. So um, so it was um, uh, pretty pretty uh, pretty scary. But that's yeah, yeah it's you, pretty well. You learn from these things. <laughs> yeah, because back then you you must have been using like struts and spring and all that crap. And um, yeah, the yeah. sessions validation were pretty painful. And we use things. we use uh, IBM WebSphere, uh, I think. Oh yeah, and yeah. and Visual H was our uh, our how do you say our programming environment, our IDE. And uh, we we used to say that um, it would make you sleepy because it took so much time to load. Visual H would, would take so much time to load that like uh, you you would start yawning before you're ready to start programming. NetBeans and Eclipse, right? Back in the day, they were like, wow, yeah, it takes takes hours to compile, takes hours to fire up. Um, but actually, you know, in a bank, even though that sounds like super scary, but the sole thought of having entered another person's user, like it doesn't even cross your mind, right? Because to a bank, 
it's only you. Like you know your yeah. login, but you don't know anybody else's. Like I don't know your uh, personal yeah. identity number. I don't know. Yeah, and we we realized because the, the the reason we realized is because um, uh, the president of the bank uh, was uh, would let us his account, his personal oh, account, to do tests. President. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he was a, he was super. He's one of the smartest people I've uh, I've ever come across and and he didn't care you know it's like yeah, just use my account just don't do anything stupid and uh, we used to use his name to uh, to his uh, account to do some sort of smoke testing and so on and oh that's God. because he, he he had a lot of zeros in his bank account so uh, it was that's good to what test edge say. cases it was good right. to test edge cases long <laughs> integer right and and, <laughs> and we realized because suddenly uh, it's like why am I logged in I just didn't try the right password you know um, otherwise we wouldn't oh. have probably You know, so we were trying because we just put this out. We were trying with different uh, passwords, and we we realized, and it was, it was pretty scary. That's that's a fabulous point to wrap this up. Thank you very much. Okay, this has been fantastic. <laughs> One minute for you to say what's going on in your product and your company, Tiny Bird, or your life. How can we help you? Um, you know, I if you you know you know people that are that want to. Uh, upgrade their experience using data at scale. If you're using Kafka and you want to build applications on top, if you uh, basically want to build data-intensive products over your analytical data, you know, come check us out. You know, sign sign up uh, or write us, and uh, you know, and we'd we'd, we'd love to um, love to show you what we're doing. That's perfect. Thank you very much, Jorge. Thank you very much to our audience. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great. We are Mars Based, an all remote consultancy from Barcelona, specializing in web and mobile development. We help all kinds of companies, from startups to big corporations, to conceptualize, design, and develop solutions for their business using technology. And now, how can we help you? 